Authors Over 50, Writing in Life's Sweetest Third. Authors Over 50's weekly podcast celebrates writers and their journeys to publication. Writing after 50 is a whole story on its own, so let's skip to Life's Sweetest Third and talk with authors about their journey from pen to publish. Welcome, I'm Julia Daly, your host, and I invite you to listen to interviews with writers who've achieved their goal of publishing a book just later in life. We've seen award lists for under 30 or under 40, but I've yet to see lists for those who've achieved a significant milestone of their own, launching a new career and publishing their first book after the age of 50. We will hear about these authors' inspirations, struggles, strategies, and the smell of that first book. These writers' journeys inspire me because I'm one of them. My guest today was born in Portland, Maine, and shortly after graduation in 1973, he moved to Boston and began writing. He has three adult children and currently lives in Haverhill, Massachusetts. He works as a housing counselor for a nonprofit agency. During COVID and still, he helps prevent people from becoming homeless or help the homeless find safe and affordable housing. He and his son enjoy hiking and climbing in the White Mountains and recently vacationed in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Welcome to Authors Over 50, Peter Clenaut. Thank you very much for having me. I'm glad we missed the hurricane in Halifax. I know. We've had some uh, ferocious weather lately. Terrible, yeah. Our opening question on Authors Over 50 is always, what took you so long to write a book? Well, I think the the question is, what took me so long to be successful? Uh, I've been writing for a long time, collecting rejection slips. I'm sure a lot of people out there who who are listening have gone to the same thing, trying to find agents um, who have an interest very difficult, Um, trying to find the right subject matter that people would would be interested in reading. Uh, It's just taken 50 years to get to this point. Well, once you wrote this book, how did you proceed? Did you search for an agent, decide to choose a hybrid, a small press, or did you self-publish? I went the old route very briefly trying to look for an agent. After a couple more rejection slips, I decided to Google search publishing companies that will accept a manuscript without an agent. So I found a small independent press out of Maryland called Level Best Books. Uh, They specialize in what's called cozy mysteries. Uh, So they were very pleased with what they read and they actually accepted the manuscript almost two years ago, it took a couple of years before it finally came out. Um, so it was really just a matter of Google searching the right, the right people. And uh, I just learned that they are going to be publishing the sequel to this novel. So that's great news. That is great news. What was your inspiration for this book? My grandfather, uh, who is Jewish, uh, was a graduate of Harvard, Harvard Law School, a veteran of World War I and World War II. After World War II in Germany, he was a prosecutor of Nazis. 
uh, not at Nuremberg, uh, but at a small and some of the smaller trials. And so I was fascinated by that period in trying to write the novel. I, I had to start thinking, okay, I've been doing this many years. I've got to come up with something that's going to be entertaining that people want to read. Uh, so I decided on a mystery. Mysteries are popular. Period pieces are, are popular. We see that all the time. World War One, World War Two, you know, Downton Abbey. So I decided to write something in that period of time that would be a mystery, uh, taking place in Germany before, during, and after the war, because it's a very interesting time um, and a, a great place to set a novel with uh, excellent characters. Well, how did you determine the plot? Uh, whenever you're dealing with an historical fiction, which is, takes place during the war, you have to do a lot of research. So I began by doing uh, reading into the Nuremberg War Trials. And as I researched, and I, and I enjoyed doing this because I, I was never a great student, to be honest. I've always been a learning on my own. So in doing research, I learned. So one of the things that I learned that I hadn't known previously was that as the war was going on, as Germany began to invade Poland in September of 1939, they also had a euthanasia program where they were killing their own children. They knew that they would have a lot of uh, soldiers coming back from the front, they needed the hospital space. They also believed in Aryan purity. They did not want a, a race of people who are physically or mentally handicapped. They didn't want them to breed. So, for example, if, if you had a child who was a schizophrenic, bipolar, manic depressive, and you couldn't handle it, you could send them to what was called a, a clinic, or sometimes a psychiatrist would paper somebody into one of these clinics where theoretically they were going to get treated, but in fact, where they were euthanized. Uh, they would be injected with poison, they would be starved to death. And the Nazis actually did a trial on the gases that they would eventually use in the concentration camps on their own children. They would have buses uh, boarded up, uh, a hose would lead the gas into the, into the bus and they would kill their children that way. So out of that research, something that I had known, developed the character of 14-year-old Hannah Ziegler, who is the main character in the novel, who as the novel begins, is being taken by her grandfather and her psychiatrist to a clinic to be put down, simply because the family does not, does not want her anymore. That, I mean, that, so that was part of it. Uh, I also learned of, of interest, there, there's an organization Called, called the Bonn Deutsche Model, which was the, the girls' version of the Nazi youth, where German girls were expected to participate or the families to get into trouble, where they would learn to be not, not just good housewives and good mothers and good daughters and good sisters, but learn how to shoot a rifle, drive a tank, that kind of thing. And out of that developed another main character, Silke Hartenstein, who is 16 years old, beautiful, blonde, blue-eyed, the quintessential Aryan, but she's anti-Nazi anti, anti -Nazi, and she bonds, forms a relationship with 14-year-old Hannah Zegler. So they, they're the two main characters in what actually turns out to be a mystery. Uh, interestingly, I think the Level Best book, which is the publisher, uh, and I, as I said, they tend to publish cozy mysteries, which are mysteries where there's a detective, a murder victim and culprits. And, and this essence of the novel is, well, 
who's the killer? And I think for the reader, the fun is trying to outthink the, the writer who to decide who the killer is. Uh, in my novel, uh, in The Unwanted, it's much more than a mystery. In fact, the detective is not the major character. Hana and, and Silky are. But uh, there is a detective, there is a murder that occurs, and you don't find the result of that until the very last sentence of the novel. So if you do happen to pick up the novel, don't skip ahead. The, the, the detective is, is a man named Avi Chrysler, and he's also Jewish. But what was interesting that I learned in the research is, of course, there was a large German Jewish population, but they looked at themselves more as German than Jewish. Many German Jews had fought in World War I, had sacrificed their lives or earned medals of honor fighting for the, their, their homeland, Germany. And many Germans, German Jews also, even as Hitler was rising, still thought, well, this is, gonna, this is just gonna pass us by because we, we are, we're Germans, we're lawyers, doctors, industrialists, we're good members of German society. Avi Kreis's father was a veteran of World War I and, and Avi himself is a member of the Munich Police Department, a detective, until he is gathered up and sent to Dachau. So he is the detective that has to unravel the mystery. Um, in writing the novel, um, I also felt that, well, maybe there'll be an issue if all the characters are German. So somehow I have to bring America into the novel um, for the American reader. So what I decided to do, I don't know if it's controversial or not, I created a family that lives in Maine where I'm originally from based on the Kennedy family, where there is a patrician father, a Catholic son that he wants to see as, as the first Catholic president of the United States. And the Kennedys, Joe Kennedy, had his own daughter, lobotomized. So I thought that would be a, a neat parallel between the euthanasia that was going on in Germany and the Kennedy, uh, the Kennedy-esque family that had lobotomized their child. And to bring these families together so that the Kennedy-esque family of Maine actually knows Hannah Ziegler's family because Hannah is raised in a very wealthy German family. So I bring all these disparate people together um, uh, through before, during, after the war uh, in a story of revenge and murder, which I think will keep people occupied throughout. I don't think you'll be able to, to close the book. From what I've heard from people's reactions, it's supposed to be a very good read. read. Very interesting parallels there. Yeah. Well, what, uh, what was interesting also is that people don't, again, something that I have known is that when the Nazis were working out their final solution, they actually turned to the United States for some direction. Uh, during the 20s and 30s, eugenics was a popular philosophy in the United States, sterilization. The idea being, we don't want to pass bad genes on to future generations. So if we have people who have a mental or physical defect, don't let them procreate. Uh, so these are ideas that, that the Nazis picked up on and went to a much greater, greater level. So that, that was also interesting. Did you complete all of your research before you began writing or did you have to do it as you went along? I tried to do as much as I could prior. I, 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 I've never been to Germany, so I had to really rely on uh, books, the Internet, um, so most of the research was done before, 
but as you're writing a novel, then the novel takes on a life of its own. Some things come up that, oh, I, I didn't know this was going to happen. I better do some more research and, and, and get some more detail. So it's, it's ongoing. Um, if you could even continue after you finish the first draft if you're not satisfied and you think there needs to be more done with it. Um, my main concern is all is something like this is very basic. It's very basic. I haven't been to Germany. I wasn't in Germany during World War II, so I have to try to make it as realistic as, as possible without having been there. Uh, and hopefully, I, I've captured that well enough. What is your writing routine? Are you a morning person or a night person? Do you write every day? If you, people often ask me, boy, how long does it take to write, write a book? If you figure a book is, let's say, 300 pages and you can get 10 pages done a day, that's 30 days. So I, I will try to set a certain goal. Uh, I best writing in the morning. Uh, so typically what I'll do is I'll write and I'm constantly going over, I'll write a paragraph and reread that paragraph to see if it sounds right. So I'm constantly editing as I write. Um, I try to get a certain number of pages done. Obviously, it's not always going to be 10 pages. When I start day number two, I begin by rereading what I did the day before. This allows me again to edit, to improve what I, what I did the first day and to kind of build up momentum to go into the, the, the next 10 pages. So, you know, if I'm not working and I, and I have a full day off, I'll try to work all morning, then take a break, have lunch. Often I like to hike, uh, so I might go hiking early in the afternoon, uh, even take a nap, and then come back to a novel if, in the evening when, I, again, I've got a little more energy. Uh, and that, that's worked for me. Can you describe the editing process that you chose? Did your publisher help with an editor? Uh, in the past, I've hired a professional editor with other manuscripts. And, and for listeners out there who uh, are interested in writing their first novel, uh, I think it is important to get editorial help. Uh, don't rely on friends and family who say, this is wonderful, it's ready to go. Yeah. The, you know, their hearts may be in it, they may like it, but you really need that professional help. Um, so I have in the past used a professional who, uh, who I rely on, who I trust. But I also believe in my own ability, I've been writing so long to know whether something sounds right, whether a sentence works, whether I've used a particular word too many times, you know, small things that where I want to go into a thesaurus and change the word. Um, so I'm pretty good with editing on my own. Uh, once, so I, as I said, I'm constantly editing as I write. So at day three, I'm editing what I did on day two. And on day four, I'm editing what I did on day three. So I'm constantly changing. And then when I'm finished with the first draft, put it aside for a while and then reread the whole thing to do another, for me, I think it's a final edit. I'm usually pretty good after that, that, second, that full scale second edit. Although I, I have to say, I don't like rereading what I've done because I know full well I'm the type of person that I could read that novel a thousand times and I would always find something else to change. I'm the same way. And yeah. even after three or four editors, I can still find typos in our advanced reader copies. So it just never ends. No, when I when the publisher presented me the version just before it went to the final uh, ver to the, the novel, 
I found over 80 errors that needed to be connected, corrected. <laughs> but I'm also talking about just, just myself. If, if I'm reading a dialogue or something, I'm saying, oh, I, I shouldn't have had them say that. I should have had them say something <laughs> else. I, 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 I probably would never be satisfied. Well, we're in good company because Eudora Welty said that when she would drop her manuscript in the post office box to go to her editor and uh, publisher in New York, she wanted to reach back in and continue working on it. So if, yes. if she felt that way, I know the rest of us will as well. It's like when you when you finally now, of course, it's with the computer, you can email your manuscript. Yeah. But I'm always emailing the manuscript, and then a few hours later, oh, wait a minute, you haven't read this one yet, have you? Here's another one with new changes. Well, you've told us a little about the book. Why don't you read a few paragraphs so that we can hear your tone and voice? All right. So what I, what, what I tell people when I, I go to libraries and now and doing readings, and I tell people, picture, if you will, this novel on the screen. So you'll... You're looking, if this were a movie, you would be seeing in black and white, the German army invading Poland. It's 1939. You're seeing soldiers marching across the land, tanks, bombs being dropped. You're seeing Hitler, but you're not hearing the sound of war. What you're hearing is this very, this bizarre incantation. This bizarre chant. Now, out of black and white, you're seeing a car driving along a two-way highway in Germany, in the forest on both sides. But still, you're hearing this very strange, bizarre, weird. Until you're inside the car, finally, and you're looking into the back seat of that car, and you're seeing the source of that, of that chant. So now I'll read from the first chapter. Late summer the first day of September to be precise. To a young girl about to die, time running out matters above everything. In the past on a fine day such as this, this girl now hunched over her notepad in the back seat of a BMW might have visited a museum in Berlin. She might have crossbred flowers with her grandmother, studied her precious textbooks, hiked through her native Bavarian forest looking for plant samples. But this first day of September in 1939 is an unusual day. At 4.45 a.m. this very morning, the German army under General von Rundstedt and General von Bock have invaded Poland. World War II has begun. Does she even care, this girl? She's only 14 years old. Mind on lockdown, does she have notice? Does she notice the forest passing by and on the side of her grandfather's car? The war is distant. Turbulence at home is daily. Does she hear the radio playing, already touting the magnificence of De Führer's lightning strike? Does she hear her grandfather's satisfied grunt? Hitler is right, fire and iron. Or catch his eye as he darts a worried look towards the female creature whose blood he denies is akin to his. No, she's too intent on her notepad to notice anything. Writing with a manic intensity that neither of her male attendants understands, she's bent over her paper as if some weight is forcing her down, never taking her eyes off her work, keeping her creations a secret from the world. She mumbles this rhythmic chant over and over, until her grandfather can no longer tolerate it and turns the knob of the radio to raise the sound to drown out her existence. She's crazy, this one her grandfather is thinking, 
not of my blood. I have clear conscience about this, not of my blood. Her name is Hannah Ziegler. And while she does have a family, grandparents and two uncles, Edward and Walter, she is very much alone in the world. Mother deceased, father and unknown. She has borne her existence through her intellect, her studies of the world and that her family apparently does not want her to inhabit much longer. Is that good? Just a horrifying time. That was, that was uh, very descriptive. Thank you. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a powerful story. That's why I say my publisher does the cozy mysteries. And this is much more than a cozy mystery. When I write, a cozy mystery can be a very good novel, um, a beach novel, you, know, you enjoy it. But once you set it aside, you say, okay, I like that, but okay, what's the next book? With my novels, I, want, I don't want that to happen. I want you to enjoy it. You have to be entertained, but I want it to, to stick with you. Uh, I don't want this to be something that you're going to pass off and forget. Yeah. Um, that, that's, what I, that's what I aim at whenever I, I write a novel. Peter, have you found publicity that's worked for you? Does your publishing house help with that? I know even the big five require their writers to do their own PR now. What have you found that worked or maybe that didn't work? Oh, it's hard to, hard to know. I, I have at, at long last hired a publicist. I, I figured I, I may end up spending more money than I'll ever make, but this woman has been in the business many years and can open doors. I haven't. Um, years ago, I made connection with a, believe it or not, a Norwegian agent um, who now lives in Spain, and he's, he has recommended the, the novel to some German filmmakers. Who knows if anything will come of that? I, I have podcasts. I am calling all the local libraries to, to try to schedule readings. Uh, I get good feedback. You know, I don't get 500 people there, but it, it's people who come and will buy the book. I'm contacting, because there's a Jewish theme to it, I've been contacting synagogues, temples, Jewish community centers. One thing I've done, and I don't know if I could, if I would advocate this would be writers out there, but I did it. It's a lot of hard work. Um, there is a website called newpages.com, where if you get on that uh, and click on book bookstores, there'll be a drop down by state. So what I did is I went state by state from Alabama to Wyoming, uh, the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico, and you, you get every independent bookstore in that state. So anything that was not uh, a children's bookstore or a used bookstore, I would click on the store's webpage, try to get the name or email of somebody and contact them and say, here's my novel, would you be willing to take it into your store? I did the same thing with public libraries. I would look up let's say the 15 biggest cities in Texas, Alabama. Uh, and then I would go to the Houston Public Library, the Dallas Public Library, the Lubbock Public Library, try to get on staff and find somebody on the staff, get their email, who I thought would be appropriate. I would email them and say, my book has just come out, would you be willing to take it into your library? So I, I, I've done just about everything, anything and everything you could think of. Uh, and who knows? Um, I've gotten some reviews from NetGalley. The publisher, the publishers should be, it, it helps certainly to have reviews from Kirkus, from Booklist, uh, various other sites, if you can get that, that that's 
helpful. Um, I, I was even looking into, I don't know if you're college graduates um, or even high school graduates, if people from your school uh, who graduated and went on to become agents, writers, people in the film industry, can you contact them, get, get an email and say, hey, look, I'm a fellow alum. Uh, would you be willing to take just a look at my work? You know, any, anything, everything, anything you can think of, throw everything against the wall and see what sticks. Well, you've been doing great things out there. And, and have you seen any success from the libraries or the bookstores? Those are so difficult to get into. Um, I, I prefer not to look because I'm, I'm afraid if I try to look into it, I'll be disappointed. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll say that it's probably not that great to do. I did the local bookstore. Um, uh, they've sold a lot of books because, you know, it's local and I, I have a lot of contacts there. I've tried in the past trying to get books into Barnes and Noble bookstores and do book events there. I found that those weren't that helpful. Because what happens is maybe locally it might help you, but typically picture yourself a customer. You don't want to go up to an author who's standing there on a desk behind the books and then say, no, I don't want your book. It's too, it's too, it's too embarrassing. So I found that didn't work. It's, it's better to go to a library uh, with the help of a library um, and they'll gather a small audience. Um, if there are book festivals in your area, the Boston Book Festival is, is coming up. There's one in, in local in Haverhill. One of the local libraries is scheduling an event for all the local authors. Thing, things like that. Maybe you can Google search uh, book festivals and, and see if there's anything in your area. Um, you know, if you go on Goodreads, uh, other sites like that, and try to contact people who like your particular, if it's a mystery or a romance or whatever, um, reading groups, and anything and everything. Well, I'm the same way. I, I was in publicity and marketing my entire career, and still it's difficult to, to market yourself. You know, I can market you and your books all day long, but it's more difficult to, to market yourself. Yeah, well, I certainly found that to be true. So I, I do feel that having contacts is, is very important. So, I, uh, you know, again, the more you're out there, who knows? You, you make contact with somebody who happens to attend one of your events, reads your book and loves it and say, oh, you know, I know so-and-so. I'll pass this on to this person. Yeah, it, who knows? That, that, who knows what will work? But it's, the more you get out there, the better the odds are. Does your family support your career as a writer? What do they think of this book? Well, my mother was always my biggest reader, but she passed away uh, in 2015. My father died in 2009. Um, I have autistic sons, so they don't read. So, you know, I don't get really out of my family, but yeah, you know, I have support from friends, um, co-workers. And a lot of it is just solitary. Just, you know, I'm hoping that some of the libraries that I make contact with will, will say, gee, I really like your presentation, Peter. And I'd say, okay, if you're, if you're part of a consortium with other li local libraries, can you contact those libraries on my behalf? Or, or we, can we collaborate on that so I can get, do a reading at these other libraries? You know, right now, it's kind of like working from a, a, 
the center point of a circle. I start mm. from the, that center point, the local libraries and work out, work out and work out um, that way. And so that, yeah. that's part of my hope. I, I'll be doing a reading today at a library and another one Friday. And I, I intend to tell, ask them, look, if you, if you like what I did, if you like the book, can you help me reach out to other libraries who might otherwise ignore me? I have found that that works. The librarians all know each other and there are librarian conferences and workshops and they can share those books that they really find interesting. Yeah, that's that's my hope. That that kind of thing. I also write for the I do book reviews for the Historical Novel Society. So you you can join groups like that if you write mystery, maybe you know mystery writers of America. Um and that there, are, uh, there are other thriller writers of America, book groups, the organizations you can join. You know, attend, attend their conferences. I think there was one in San Antonio uh, not too long ago, which I was able to attend because I, uh, I don't have the money to fly all over the country. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, Peter, our last interview question is always, our writers over 50 are a unique set. Do you have advice for writers 50 and above? Primarily, don't give up. Um, I, I don't know if anybody has faced more rejection than I have over all the years. I, 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 I can't count. Uh, but you can't give up because if you give up, then it is over. You have to keep trying. Um, certainly, but seek help. Seek that professional editor who can take, if you if you if you think you've got to work this way, but you're not sure, and be and be willing to listen to that criticism. You know, if somebody is, has a harsh critique, uh, don't quit. Listen to what they have to say, um, and keep working. Don't don't stop. Um, certainly, with the internet, there is a greater outlet now for writers, and there are there are publishers that will take somebody without an agent. Uh, just just keep working at it. Um, get the help. That you, that you might need and, and until once you've got a product that you're proud of and you think that's ready to go then again don't hesitate to set it out don't be afraid of getting rejections well, i think that's great advice i think in this humbling industry we have to develop a thick skin and be ready for the critiques and the criticisms to come but to believe in our work and to go forward. I think we can continue to write. I'm interviewing people in their 70s, 80s, and 90s who are turning out beautiful work. So I think it's kind of like swimming and maybe we can write for the rest of our lives. So we just appreciate you being with us today and excited that we can now say you're one of our authors over 50. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for joining us today. Please look for Authors Over 50 every Thursday when we will have conversations with accomplished debut novelists over the age of 50. Please subscribe and share with a friend. And check out my own publication journey after 50 at www.juliadaily, that's D-A-I-L-Y, like dailynewspaper.com. Until next time, keep reading and writing. And remember, it's never too late to fulfill a dream in life's sweetest third.